Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. At this particular point in time, the question is, uh, surrounding Joe Biden's campaign, is whether his continuing to run for the president of the United States, um, whether that's just a joke or whether or not that should be considered elder abuse. I mean, his decline is so evident and his living in some alternate bizarro universe is so apparent that you got to kind of wonder what is the left doing? I mean, I get that they think that Joe Biden is this face that they can put up for a front, you know, this sort of return to normalcy as if that was ever a thing, you know, while he was the vice president, but they're trying to recapture, you know, the fact that he was Barack Obama's vice president. Therefore, you know, this should be an appealing option for a president. And yet, he lives nowhere near reality, right? And his it's not only his mental decline, but the fact that the left thinks you're all idiots. And sadly for a segment of the population, the left may be right. For instance, Joe Biden has come out and on Monday is trying to say that only the person calling to defund the police is Donald Trump. And the article here, which comes from the Daily Caller, uh, states that Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden told ABC 27 Monday that President Donald Trump is the only person calling to defund the police. And then the article uh, will continue on. And it's like, what? In what world has, has Donald Trump been the one to call on defunding the police? In fact, all the calls to defund the police are coming from Democrats and the left. Joe Biden has called on defunding the police. And then, you know, flip-flop because, you know, he realized that that was not necessarily a popular message. But when you go through and you take a look at uh, Biden's attempted explanation, you know, what he's trying to do is he's trying to create um, a sort of a separation between police and officers, even though they're the same thing. But what the, he's trying to do as he tries to retcon, you know, and if you're not familiar with retcon, it's basically another way of saying rewriting history, trying to change everything that happened before. As he's trying to go off and retcon and uh, this whole defunding the police, you know, he's trying to make a separation between policing and officers. And so as Joe Biden is trying to say that he's the one calling to increase police funding, well, he doesn't mean increase funding for the actual police, you know, not, not the police officers, but now he's trying to redirect, you know, police funding to community groups and organizations, you know, for citizen policing is basically what he's getting at here, which is just basically he's trying to redirect police funds to left-wing groups who then will have more money to redirect towards Democrat campaigns is what I'm getting out of everything uh, that he was saying there. But, you know, the idea that they can come out here and try and blazingly lie to you and claim that it was President Trump calling to defund the police just goes to show that they have no respect for you as voters. They have no respect for your intelligence. Just like they have proven throughout the entire coronavirus that they have no respect for your intelligence. You know, as they had tried to go through and rewrite the history and claiming Donald Trump downplayed the coronavirus while the Democrats took it seriously. Even though we can show you video after video of President Trump going out there between January and March and telling you how serious the coronavirus is, the danger that it poses, all the massive unprecedented action that he was taking in order to try and safeguard the United States and stop the spread. And, you know, uh, we understand, you know, that with the way the virus, uh, you know, with what we know about the virus now. That by the time, you know, the information was able to get out of China, you know, it had already made its way 
you know, across the globe and to the United States. And, you know, you really can't contain a virus, right? And we know a lot more now, and we could say that Trump overreacted based off of the data. You know, we know that, you know, the testing for the coronavirus is so sensitive. They're actually picking up, you know, as far as their new cases, people who had already had it and recovered. You know, we know that the testing provides a 90% false positive rate. So when the media is going out there talking about how many cases there are, you know, really 90% of that are false positives. We know that, you know, the coronavirus is basically not much more dangerous than, you know, the common flu uh, for 99% of the population, you know, and so we're taking a look at, you know, all the data here as it relates uh, to the coronavirus. And in all reality, we're finding out that, yeah, it was vastly overhyped, but the Democrats know is 90%, you know, false positive and they're, you know, inflating the deaths, throwing in motorcycle accidents and to death count, uh, the uh, COVID death count. And, you know, New York is going off and just labeling people as COVID deaths without even testing whether or not they have COVID. But they tried to retcon, you know, the whole response, trying to say Trump had downplayed the coronavirus when he was out there warning about the dangers of coronavirus and the Democrats' response was, don't listen to Trump, he's overreacting. You know, come on down to Chinatown and party. Let's all get together in mass celebrations. Even now, you know, the Democrats don't actually take the coronavirus seriously. You know, for as much as they claim it to be a threat, I mean, you can see all over the media as they go through and, Take a look at any Republican event, any event that President Trump is holding. If they find people who are not wearing masks, oh, they freak out. Oh, they have a complete meltdown. How could you not be wearing masks? And then Democrats gather in, you know, by the tens of thousands, you know, or hundreds of thousands and what they call air quotes, mass protests. And. Not a single one of them wears a mask, and apparently the media comes out and goes, oh, no, 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 there's not a problem with that. No, you know, there's not an issue, because apparently if you're gathering in masses to advance a left-wing cause, that makes you immune to COVID. Who knew? Who knew that COVID was so political? But for the Democrats who have been coming out for months now, especially with all the rights that have been coming uh, on, you know, especially in Portland and in other Democrat-controlled cities, as they have advocated for defunding the police and the city councils in Democrat-controlled cities that are advocating for defunding the police, and some of them are passing resolutions to defund the police. For them to try and come out now and claim that it's Donald Trump is the only one advocating to defund the police, it, it just goes to show how they have become so reliant on the media to cover for them and how much they've gotten away with over the past that they're able to be so brazen with their lies, so outlandish with their rewriting of history. I mean, could anyone actually find one real example, one example of President Trump actually advocating for defunding the police? Or anybody on the Republican side advocating for defunding the police? You're not going to find that. It's all coming from the left. I mean, that's what a lot of these riots are, you know, trying to advocate for. Defund the police. The police are horrible. The police are bad. We must get rid of the police. But as they've gone through and they've seen through the polling data that of these riots are really hurting the Democrats because, you know, apparently people don't like it when you burn down their homes. People don't like it when you burn down their businesses. People don't like it when you burn down their only source of a paycheck and now they can't earn any money to feed their families. And so that's been hitting the Democrats and hurting the Democrats in the polls. So they've now been trying to rewrite 
all of their support for the violence and terrorism going along in these Democrat-controlled cities. And they're now trying to go off and say, no, 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 ignore your lying eyes and ears. That's, you know, those videos of us coming out and, you know, supporting Antifa and, you know, advocating for defunding the police. No, no, no. Those are, those are, uh, I don't know, they don't exist, right? History doesn't start until today is how they're trying to go about that. And so because it's all been hurting them, they're trying to go off and say, no, no, no. They were actually the ones who are uh, against the violence, against all of these riots, and that it was actually President Trump who's been trying to get Democrats to stop the riots. No, no, it's Donald Trump's fault for the riots. Donald Trump is the one behind all of the violence somehow. You know, that Donald Trump is the one that, is somehow responsible for left-wing groups in left-wing cities supported by left-wing politicians and activists. But yet, it's somehow Donald Trump's fault that they are rioting. Therefore, Donald Trump is behind the violence. But because the riots are so unpopular right, and hurting the Democrats, they also realize that all of their calls to defund the police is also very unpopular. I mean, you, you were calling for defunding the police while people were burning down the cities. And if burning down cities is unpopular, defunding the police that should be there to stop them is also unpopular. So just like the Democrats have tried to rewrite the history of all of the violence that we see going on in Portland and in other Democrat cities, they're now trying to rewrite the history of their calls to defund the police. And just as they tried to scapegoat uh, President Trump for the violent rioters and terrorists, right? Because apparently, you know, it's only right-wing groups that are you know, engaging in violence, even though there's no right-wing groups to be found in the area. You know, they can't point to a single one that's actually done anything. I mean, the most you can find of the right-wing in these cities is them just driving down the street with a, in their vehicles with a Trump-Pence 2020 flag hanging out their window. Ooh, what violence. Ooh, that, that is so much more violent than taking, you know, uh, burning dumpsters and Molotov cocktails and burning down businesses. Yes, driving down the street with a, f- with a flag on, hanging out your window. That, that is real violence. But burning down businesses is mostly peaceful. That, that's kind of, tr- I guess how they're trying to spin it as they try to say that it's President Trump and the right wing that's behind all of the violence. And you can't have people burning down cities and also calling for defunding the police. That is a very unpopular message. And so they're trying to retcon and rewrite the history of both of those. And they're trying to do it right before your eyes because they think you're a moron. Now, in Joe Biden's case, he might actually think that's true, you know, because he, he has hardly any ability to recognize where he's at. I mean, as far as it goes, you're lucky if he even knows what state he is in. And so it is really quite amazing to see them be so brazen in their propaganda and gaslighting. And it's even more amazing to see. You know, these news outlets that claim to be journalists, that claim to be the, you know, source of integrity and journalism, going off and engaging in Pravda love. I mean, I, I would, I won't, you know what? Let me rephrase that. Because Pravda, the Soviet Union state run, you know, media that was just there to lie to the public. They are blushing. They would be blushing at the Democrat parties, at what the Democrat party is doing and getting away with. They would be in awe of the Democrat party and the left-wing media taking notes 
on how gaslighting and propaganda works, how brazen you can be with it. And yet, despite all of this, despite all of this, there's still probably about half the country, well, not quite half, maybe about 40 to 45% of the country, that goes along with the Democrats. That still, you know, doesn't provide any consequences to the Democrats for engaging in this type of behavior. You know, that they're still going to vote for the Democrats, either because they're ignorant morons who don't pay attention, or, you know, even if they are paying attention and watching the news, they are so weak-minded that they just go along with anything they say, no matter how often they contradict themselves. Um, Or they're just horrible, disgusting people. I mean, this is really the only option in 2020. Either you're a weak-minded moron or you're a really horrible person down to your core. That In 2020, if you're a Democrat, that's it. I mean, it used to be that you could be a good person and still vote Democrat. You know, you, you may be a good person. Your, your ideas were horrible. Your ideas were bad. Your ideas were ignorant, right? But deep down, you were still a good person. You just didn't know any better. You know, you didn't know how bad your ideas were. So you thought what you were doing was actually in the best interest of the country. Those days are gone. Those days where you could be a good person with just some bad ideas, bad ideas on tax policy, bad ideas on immigration policy, those days are gone. Right now, if you're a Democrat, you're really just a bad person. Now, you, now, whether the source of you being a bad person because you're advocating for some really horrid policies is out of just being completely ignorant, you know, a complete moron, or whether it's because you are the really that hateful and ugly inside. And considering that we're talking about roughly 45% of the country, that is a very scary thought here, that it doesn't matter what the Democrats do. You know, um, calling to defund the police, rioting, burning down communities, which, by the way, they're burning down mostly minority communities and, my, and a lot of minority businesses, all in the name of social justice. Go figure. You know, burning down communities to now, you know, the far left, is actually celebrating killing anybody who disagrees with you politically, killing anybody who supports a politician that you don't like. And they try to justify those killings by saying, oh, well, they were Nazis. They were Nazis. You know, they just call anybody who di- who they disagree with politically Nazis and then use the, that as justification to say, it's okay to kill them. It's okay. I mean, they're actually going through and talking about killing people and burning down cities, and defunding the police. And they're going to try and claim that they're the party of peace and tolerance, that they are the party of intellectuality? Are you kidding me? My God, you know, their entire, you know, ideology is horrible. And it's no wonder, because left-wing ideology, that was the ideology of Hitler. That, That was the ideology of Mussolini. That was the ideology of the murderous Soviet Union. That is the ideology that destroyed Venezuela. And they still go for it. And it, you know, at some point, you know, you gotta wonder, you know, if liberalism really is a mental disorder, but also, is it a contagious mental disorder that is more dangerous to this country than COVID-19 could ever have been. Another area in which the Democrats are trying to retcon this entire election and the narrative and everything that's been going on is by now trying to claim, oh, if Joe Biden wins, there's going to be mass right-wing violence that is going to take to the streets. And we must protect ourselves against the right-wing violence. Now, let me try and explain this to you. The only way the right-wing would actually rise up in any type of violence 
is if the Democrats succeeded in overthrowing democracy, overthrowing the election. You know, in a situation in where President Trump wins and wins by a massive landslide, or, you know, just wins in general, the Electoral College, the constitutional means by which to win the presidency, and he wins and, and you know, clearly wins, and yet the Democrats find a way to overthrow the election and try to install Joe Biden, who loses the election and still tries to install him as president? Well, then, yeah, because democracy would have been overthrown, and we have an obligation to defend the Constitution. And so, yeah, in that situation, I could see where people would exercise their Second Amendment rights. But short of Donald Trump you know, being victorious and yet them still trying to install Joe Biden, there would be no violence in any legitimate election. But left-leaning activist powerhouse MoveOn.org, according to the Daily Wire, along with some other nation's largest teachers' unions, are warning Democrats of mass unrest and possible right-wing violence if President Trump loses the presidential election to former Vice President Joe Biden in November. Now, as I've made clear here, you know, if Joe Biden actually does win legitimately, there is no mass unrest that would go on because we know that we win some and we lose some. But they're going as far as to issue memos to Democrat groups with suggestions on how to counter and protect themselves from the violence. Like I said, as long as the election is fair and legitimate, there is no risk, no threat. There is no possibility of right-wing violence. It's only if, you know, Donald Trump went, clearly wins the Electoral College and yet they try to install Joe Biden as president anyways against the vote of the people. And let's face it, the Democrats have been engaged in a decades or multi-decade long war against democracy. They've been doing everything that they can to undermine the integrity of our election and have been engaged in voter fraud. So we know why they want to do mail-in ballots, because that is just ripe for fraud. That allows them to cast more votes than what there are voters. And there's already more people on the voter rolls than there are eligible voters in an area. I mean, okay, so... Mail-in ballots would require accurate voter rolls, but we know that voter rolls are filled with dead people, and they're even filled with people's pets. They're filled with people who no longer live in the area because they moved around. And so you got some people on multiple voter rolls because they're never removed when they leave an area, when they move out. And the Democrats, they ensure that there is no way to remove people from the voter rolls when they die, when they no longer live there. Because what the Democrats do is they basically, you know, I guess leak the voter roll, you know, the most important information of the voter rolls to their activists who then go around from location to location casting multiple votes in the names of inactive voters. Yes. And so... You know, for instance, they'll go and they'll vote, you know, in their actual names at this precinct, and then they'll go to another precinct. And because you're not allowed to require voter ID, they get to claim to be whoever they want and then vote in another person's name. And then they just keep going around location to location. We know this is true because of how many people who have actually been caught doing this, but we know that, you know, in every election, people who have been dead you know, not only continue to get absentee ballots, but they actually continue to cast votes after they're dead. We got video, thanks to Project Veritas, of Democrat organizations bragging about how they get away with voter fraud, including the election commissioner in New York admitting to turning a blind eye to voter fraud of all these people going around voting in multiple locations, you know, being bussed around. Right. We've we've seen, you know, uh, pets get, 
you know, issued absentee ballot requests. How does a pet end up on a voter roll? Somebody's cat and dog ends up on a voter roll. How the hell does that happen? Okay. Then we also take a look at some of the more recent examples of voter fraud that is going on. There was the now infamous article uh, that was published by, you know, a, a confessed voter fraud talking about how they use ballot harvesting in their fraud, how they go around to, you know, as a service, you know, collect the ballots and offer to mail them for the person, you know, so that they don't have to worry about making it to, you know, the mailbox, you know, if they don't have an actual mailbox that they're located at their home, you know, and they have to travel to the blue box. So don't worry, we'll take care of mailing it for you. And then, you know, using a process that I, I believe, as I understand it, using steam to loosen the glue so that they can open up the envelope without damaging it or without any real signs of tampering. And then they can remove that person's ballot and replace it with a ballot that they filled out, that they copied, you know, from a ballot that they received. And then they fill it out and then they, you know, replace the ballot that was in the envelopes from that they had harvested, you know, offered to mail off for other people you know, replace that and then reseal it, you know, and have the glue re-dry. And then they go off and they put them in the blue box. They mail them off for them. But the ballots had been changed. And they were doing this, you know, by the thousands. You know, this person who had come out and confessed to this, you know, had confessed to doing this, you know, for thousands of votes every election. Thousands of votes. That is more than enough to overturn an election. So we got areas of this country that have been controlled by Democrats for decades, for decades now. And their elections may have been illegitimate the entire time. You know, it may, their continued, you know, presence in office, their continued control in these cities may be solely on the basis of voter fraud. And so, yeah, the people in those areas have been disenfranchised. Their voice has been completely removed from local government because of voter fraud. And they don't even know it. They think they casted their vote. And because it's a secret ballot that, you know, the person they voted for just lost because other people voted so much more in the other direction. And therefore, you know, they're none the wiser. They have no you know, they have no reason to suspect that there was any tampering or fraud. Now, when you go off and you take a look at this in the context of mail-in ballots, well, then the issue gets much worse because then you have to worry about whether the person delivering the mail is an activist and, you know, air quotes, will lose the mail, you know, for any ballots that is to be delivered to a home with, let's say, a yard sign of a political opponent, and maybe it gets accidentally delivered, you know, uh, to someone who has a yard sign for the candidate of their choice. You know, for instance, if you have a Trump yard sign, somehow your ballot gets lost in the mail. But if you have a Biden yard sign, well, you accidentally get multiple ballots, you know, that were intended for other people. And since there's no way to you know, trace back that ballot, right, to, you know, you know, to you, what are you going to do? Oh, you know what? I'm going to be a good neighbor and I'm just going to fill out and make sure that, you know, the vote is correct. I'm, I'm going to do it for them, you know, and help them make, you know, make the right decisions. Because to the left, the ends justify the mean. They are so arrogant and they're and so self-absorbed in their ego that they believe that no matter what they do, it's on the right side of history. So they're justified in any action that they take because, you know, it's just the right thing to do, according to them. We can also see in situations where, you know, an activist working at the post office could just pocket all of the ballots themselves and just fill it out themselves or you know, drop it off, you know, at a friend, you know, call up a friend, say, hey, meet me at the corner of blank and blank at this particular time. And then all the ballots that they refuse to go through and deliver 
to re, you know to clear Republicans. They just pass off to their friends, which is a crime, but they're not concerned with crimes. I mean, there have been a lot of elections in which we have found massive amounts of ballots for Republicans just tossed in a dumpster. You know, the ballots were filled out. They were supposed to be mailed in, but instead of being mailed in, you got these ballot harvesters, which is another way they go. You know, if they're not loosening the glue and replacing, you know, the ballot, they just harvest the votes, harvest the ballots, and then anybody who had a Trump sign, their ballot just gets lost in the dumpster. But beyond that, we have seen in a recent case here, uh, one that uh, was uh, up in New Jersey, I believe, uh, according to uh, the Epic Times, you know, on uh, August 21st, a judge orders new election in New Jersey after voter fraud charges. And so what had happened is they were using mail-in ballots and there was just such fraud that was going on, how they were trying to continue to accept ballots long after the election was over, you know, and then, then they weren't, you know, uh, then they were destroying any way in which to determine which ballots were legitimate, which ones weren't, you know, which ones, you know, uh, were postmarked or sent off late. And then also their attempts to throw out ballots. And here's another thing, and this is, you know, a problem that we have with absentee ballots, is that they can go off and just randomly declare for whatever reason, you know, uh, that uh, this ballot is invalid. You know, it, it, it's a mistake. They made errors or, you know, whatever. And so even though the vote was cast, they want to claim that they can't really determine who it was cast for or, you know, it wasn't filled out properly. and Instead of giving that person a chance to correct, you know, whatever mistakes there was made, they just toss out the ballot. And so the person tried to vote, got their ballot to the election office, only to have their ballots tossed off and declared, you know, illegitimate. And we were seeing, you know, that going on, you know, where they were declaring ballots, you know, for the candidates that they didn't like to be illegitimate. They were continuing to accept new votes coming in, you know, long after the election was over. And, you know, th there was just so much fraud that was going on. And you, you want to do this on a national scale? And so the Democrats are going off and they're trying to steal the election. And they're trying to create chaos in the election. Because another scenario in which we are facing here when it comes down to it is that you know, by throwing enough chaos into the system and trying to obfuscate who the actual winner is, you know, Trump could win a particular state, you know, but if the state has a Democrat controlled legislature, even if Trump wins, the Democrats in that state could still decide, well, we're going to send Democrat electors to the electoral college, right? And the Republicans are going to go, no, 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 that is illegitimate. You know, the Trump won. You can't send Democrat electors. We're sending Republican electors. And so now you got a state sending two sets of electors, right? And there's going to be a fight over which set of electors is the legitimate set of electors. So this creates several scenarios here. You know, if the Democrats are in massive control, they'll just send Democrat electors anyway. And even though Trump won the state, they'll have their electors cast the electoral votes in direct opposition to the votes of their state for Joe Biden, right? But since Trump won the state, there's going to be a group of Republican electors. And then there's going to be this issue of which a set of electors is legitimate and what and how they vote, you know, based off of who, which one is legitimate. And if they can't figure it out, right? And there's going to be, you know, some keys here on that then that creates more problems other than trying to obfuscate which set of electors is the legitimate one. You know, if they can't figure it out by a deadline that is actually set within the constitution, then they will lose their electoral votes, right? For that state. And that would be most likely the ultimate goal of sending conflicting uh, groups of electors to the electoral college. 
because then they will just fight it out, fight it out, fight it out, you know, and if they can't fight it out, they lose their electoral votes. Now, you may be thinking, why would they want to lose their electoral votes? Well, they just don't want it to go for Trump. So if only in states that Trump wins do they send conflicting electors, right? And then those states lose their electoral votes, but yet the states that Joe Biden wins, there is no confusion. There is only one set of electors. They still get their electoral votes. And so by finding a way to eliminate the electoral votes of the states that Trump wins, but not the states that Biden wins, you could set it up where, you know, President Trump wins re-election, wins it decisively, but because of all of the chaos and confusion, the electoral votes that he would get are now lost, right? The state loses them. And then out of the remaining electoral votes, it somehow goes legitimate, you know, goes for Biden, you know, illegitimate, you know, but it then goes to Biden, you know, who will now get the majority of the electoral votes just because these states that went for Trump were thrown into such chaos that they lost their ability to cast the electoral votes. And in that scenario, they can go through and get Biden installed as president, even though he lost, right? Now, if they throw in enough chaos, right, enough confusion to avoid, you know, uh, either Trump or Biden from getting a clear uh, victory in the electoral college, well, then by December or by January 20th, you know, the date set in the Constitution for the new president to take office, we might not have, you know, uh, a clear result of the election, in which case the Speaker of the House becomes the president. And then the Speaker of the House would then either serve out the term as president, in which case we're looking at a Nancy Pelosi presidency, or would then be in charge of the government to determine how to proceed in determining the outcome of the election. And so you can see how the Democrats are continually trying to undermine the legitimacy of the election as they try to go off and find ways to steal the election, either through you know, mail-in ballots, which is ripe for voter fraud, that they can then stuff the ballots, stuff the envelopes, make up, you know, ballots, photocopy, you know, the ballots and the envelopes needed in order to cast more votes than what there are voters are to, you know, harvest the ballots and then use the loosening the glue process in order to change the ballots, all the way to throwing the electoral college into complete chaos sending in conflicting uh, electors and denying Trump electoral votes by forfeiting that state's electoral votes. So the only remaining electoral votes are for the states that Biden won in order to get him a victory or just throw it into such complete chaos that the Speaker of the House, if the Democrats retain the Speakership of the House, you know, then becomes president and either serves out as president for the next four years, in which case, you know, neither Joe Biden or President Trump holds office, but now it's Nancy Pelosi, or she takes office long enough that she can then, you know, take control of government and determine the outcome of the election herself, in which case she would clearly go for Joe Biden, regardless of who actually won. Now, in those scenarios, yes, I could see, you know, uh, Republicans, you know, having an election clearly stolen, having, you know, Trump win and yet Biden be installed anyways. You know, I can see mass unrest. I can see an uprising because at that particular point in time, the Democrats had enacted a coup against the government, had overthrown democracy and committed treason against the Constitution, in which case that is exactly what the Second Amendment is designed for. But if Joe Biden does manage to pull out a victory and does so legitimately, there is no threat of violence because the right is nothing like the left. We don't engage in terrorism and violence just because we don't get our way. It's only 
in a situation in which we are defending the Constitution and the government from an overthrow enacted by a Democrat coup that you could possibly see anything coming out of the right wing. But in a fair and legitimate election, there is no threat of violence. But the Democrats, they need to pre-write this narrative that the Republicans you know, would engage in violence so that if they are able to successfully steal an election, if they are able to enact their coup that they've been planning for the past two years, then anybody who starts uprising you know, against their coup attempt, they could just point, see, we told you they're violent. See, we told you this is what was going to happen. We told you they were, I mean, they're, they're just going to try and, you know, use that as, you know, them trying to, you know, you know, having warned that the right wing was somehow violent. Therefore, they can try and use that to justify whatever action they take to, you know, ensure that their coup is not stopped, you know, and try and have public support for their coup. You know, the Democrats, they always go through and try and pre-write a narrative. You know, and their pre-written narrative is usually about, you know, trying to blame their political opponents for the things that they're either doing or the things that they plan to do. Because it's been the Democrats threatening violence if Biden doesn't win. But that's an unpopular. So now they got to rewrite the narrative to claim that, no, 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 it's the right wing that's going to be violent. But I've explained that as long as the the election is legitimate, there is no threat of violence. It's only if they try and overthrow the election that there would be any danger whatsoever. But they're already putting in place a way to, you know, um, pre-write a narrative so that they can try and get support for putting down any attempts to stop them from overthrowing the election if they don't get what they want. It is really sickening what the Democrats are doing, and anybody who studies history is deathly afraid of the actions and behaviors of the Democrat Party today. They are engaged in everything that has led to the rise of murderous dictators throughout history. You know, one of the things that is interesting when it comes to the left is how much they proclaim They are fighting fascism. They need to stop fascism wherever it is inside of the United States. And yet when fascism actually starts rearing its ugly head, they're nowhere to be found. Why? Because they're the ones that are usually involved in the implementation of fascism. You know, they've come to try and define fascism as anything that they disagree with politically, right? That if you disagree with them, everything's okay up to and including killing you. But when actual fascism starts rearing its ugly head, they're silent. There's nothing to be said because the fascism is what it is they are actually advocating for. So recently, my city where I live in has implemented a mask mandate. They implemented a law saying that people are required to wear masks when in public. Now, there are some issues uh, with this, and how they went about it is, you know, horrible as well, you know, in order to try and hide their true intentions. Now, as far as it goes, one of the interesting things is they don't actually have any authority to issue a mask mandate. You know, uh, what has, what we have done in, uh, researching and listening to those who have come out, you know, against the mask mandate is that one, the, uh, governor of our state, Kim Reynolds. Yes, I'm in Iowa. You know, the governor of our state has come out and confirmed that, Hey, you know, you cities, you know, you don't have any authority to issue a mask mandate. And the state attorney general has come out and confirmed that, no, you, you don't have any authority as a city, you know, uh, council, city government, you know, as a municipality, you have zero authority to pass a local law requiring masks to be worn in public. You have no authority for that. The Iowa Supreme Court past case precedent proves 
that they don't have such authority. In fact, our own city attorney has come out and confirmed, yeah, we don't actually have any authority to do this, but you know what? We're going to do it anyways. It is interesting, and they've tried coming out and saying, this is now the law. But there's interesting things about this law here. One is the fact that it has absolutely no consequences if you ignore it. Now, that was done very specifically uh, in order to avoid legal challenges to them doing something they have no legal authority to do. Because in order to bring about a lawsuit, you must have been injured in somehow. And if there is no actual consequences to ignoring it, well, then you're not actually injured. And if you try to take them to court and going, hey, they don't actually have the authority to do this. And even though it has no consequences, they're still saying it's a law and they don't have the authority to do so. They're able to come out and go, well, it doesn't have, you know, any consequences because, um, and then they can go off and argue it's a recommendation. It's an opinion resolution or, you know, they can come up with an excuse that, well, it's not really the law, but we are trying to hope people obey it as if it is law. And if it was a law, it would have consequences, right? I mean, so they did this in order to avoid legal challenges, but without having any of the consequences, what is really behind some of these mask mandates in the areas in which cities do not have the authority and issuing them without any consequences for noncompliance. Well, first off, they're hoping to take advantage of the ignorant. They're going, well, they, they say it's a law, so I guess it's the law, and I'm a law-abiding citizen, so I guess now I have to wear a mask. Wrong. In order for something to actually be a law, it has to be passed by a body with the authority to create such a law. You know, if they don't actually have the authority, it's not a law. Now, I know at the federal level, the federal government does a whole bunch of things that is outside the scope of their actual authority and jurisdiction as well, and they're able to enforce it illegitimately. Now, one of the reasons why they're able to do that is because there's nothing that you can really do when they abuse their power because corrupt judges will go in and codify and somehow declare that it is legal and constitutional, even when it's clearly unconstitutional and clearly outside of their jurisdiction. So if we have corrupt judges that are going to enforce laws that are illegitimate because they're outside the scope and authority of the government, what are you going to do? You know, they're still going to lock you up as illegitimate as it is. They'll still lock you up or fine you and you have no recourse and no and nothing that you can do about the fact that the laws that they pass is illegitimate but in any event you know that that's at the federal level but what is really behind the mask mandate here well i told you you know in one respect it's to get those who are naturally inclined to obey the law regardless of whether or not there's any legitimacy to it but it's really designed as a means to give businesses a scapegoat. See, no, follow here. You know, because what we are seeing here is that corporations and businesses are going off trying to enact, trying to force onto customers the things that government doesn't have the legal authority to do. You know, for instance, you remember how there are banks uh, that were coming out saying, hey, you cannot use our card, you know, the debit card or credit card in order to go out and purchase a gun. You have your money at their bank. It's your money. You got a debit card, but their terms of service with the debit card would prevent you from being able to buy a gun. They're trying to make it harder for you to get that gun, and therefore it's an infringement on your Second Amendment rights. But since it's done by a private business, well, you know, they get to decide how you get to use their product. And this is also why they want to go to a completely cashless society, because right now you can get around that by just withdrawing the money from your account and paying in cash. But if they get rid of cash, you can't do that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where, you know, under the Constitution, you have the right to purchase a gun. However, businesses, you know, the banks are all banning you from being able to, you know, buy a gun with your account held at that bank. 
you know, and you would effectively have, you know, a repeal of the Second Amendment. So as it relates to the mask mandate, what is going on is businesses wanted to enact a mask mandate. Some of them tried and it failed horribly. You know, they wanted to go through and force customers to wear a mask by entering the store. Hey, if you want to do that, fine. You know, you have the right to do that as a private business, but then I have the right to decide that to change my shopping behaviors and go to your competitors, which is what people were doing when Walmart, you know, came out with their store policy that all customers must wear a mask. What happened? Well, in my area, people stopped going to Walmart, you know, for the, the entire, you know, week that they were enforcing that in my area. The Walmart parking lot was empty. No one was going there. Everyone just decided they were going to go to a competitor, go to a local, you know, small business, or just buy it off of Amazon. And Walmart quickly, you know, did an about face and said, no, no, we recommend the mask, but, you know, if you don't want to wear it, we're not going to force you. And business started picking back up for them. You know, had they continued that for much longer, they would have been in serious trouble in the area. And so businesses, you know, there are plenty of them that want to require customers to wear a mask, but they're afraid of the backlash. They're afraid of the customers just going, okay, well, nice knowing you. I'm spending my money elsewhere. And so they don't want to lose the customers. So they want to figure out how to be able to, you know, force customers to wear a mask within their store without having to take responsibility for it. Boy, I can tell one of my kids are upstairs stomping around. I'll have to see if I can edit that out any. Okay, so where was I? Oh, yes. So businesses want a scapegoat. They want to force their customers to wear a mask, but they don't want to have to take the customer backlash of suddenly not shopping at their stores. So what happens? Oh, here comes city council. We're going to issue a mask mandate, right? There, we don't have the legal authority to do so. There's no punishment for noncompliance, but we're going to pass this mandate. So what happens? Well, now we see all these places, especially Walmart, that wanted to implement masks, now put signs up on their door, you know, uh, stating that as required by Ames City Council, I mean, all customers must wear mask or face coverings. See, that's what they're doing here. You know, they realized that businesses were getting a lot of blowback, so they provided a scapegoat. They provided an out. So now it's not the company's policy. It's the city council, and, you know, it's out of their hands. They have to comply. And you get what they're doing here, right? And so a customer complains. It goes, well, you have to take it up with city council. I mean, we have to obey the law. It is... Our only policy on this is that we must follow all, you know, state and local laws, you know, as we operate business. And therefore, there's nothing we can do. And therefore, all of the ire, all of the anger gets directed at city council, you know, that can, you know, that, you know, can weather it out and hope people forget by election day. And businesses that wanted to implement a mask mandate now get to do so without having to own up to it being their own policy. But now it gets worse because now it's starting to try and force businesses that had no intention or desire to issue a mask mandate and forcing them to because now that it's being promoted as a law, what happens? Well, if they want to challenge it, well, then they got to hire a lawyer. Then they have to take the city to court. Now, while that process is going on, they'll have to comply, right? And yet, because of COVID, the courts are, you know, not really in session. So this would be a long drawn out process. And by the time it actually reached the courtroom, by the time there's a hearing set on it, COVID could be over. You know, it could be no more, you know, gone. And the lawsuit is moot, and they just spent all that money for nothing because they couldn't get a court date. You know, so you start seeing this. But let's say the businesses don't comply, right? You're going, well, there was no enforcement mechanism, so 
What if the businesses decide not to comply? Right? Well, let's see here. Now they got a, you know, technical uh, violation of the law. Oh man, they want to expand their business. Wouldn't you know it? We can't approve your uh, request to build another building for your business. Sorry, we're going to have to deny that. Oh, you're not going to comply with this law? Man, you know, your business license is up for renewal and, well, you're not in compliance. I, I know there's no fee for it. There's no, you know, uh, financial consequences for your non-compliance, but your business, you know, has been breaking the law and therefore we can't renew your license. Yeah, you, know, you start seeing this or as we see in a lot of left uh, leaning states, oh, you don't agree with this? Well, wouldn't you know we just discovered a dozen uh, building code violations? Oh, man, you know, you're non-compliant. You're out of compliance with, uh, you know, uh, building codes in this area. You know, now you're going to have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to bring this building up to code. See, they have other ways to get you. They have other ways to get you. And the fact that, you know, they're claiming it's a law just by not complying with it, they can screw you over, you know, in so many other ways, you know, denying your ability to expand your business, denying a renewal of certain licenses, depending on what your business is, or you know what? Oh, we need to engage in road repairs, you know, and wouldn't you know it, these repairs are going to be set up right in front of your location. You know, and we just don't have the ability to provide customers, you know, another way, you know, to your location. So sorry, but, you know, you're going to have to weather the storm and hope your customers are dedicated enough to walk the extra few blocks to your location, you know, but, you know, you're not complying. And oh, by the way, these road repairs will take, you know, uh, three fourths of the year. Ah. You know, darn the luck. They, see, they have so many ways to screw businesses, you know, that don't require it being uh, actually considered a consequence of noncompliance with this particular law, you know, and making it very hard to challenge a law when it has no consequences. So they have so many other ways to screw businesses and force them uh, to help in, uh, enact their agenda. You know, and from the business standpoint, there is the issue here of, you know, the all the time and expense and the cost of, you know, challenging this law that the city council has no authority to enact. But, you know, by the time it actually gets to the court date, it it could all be moot anyway. So what are you going to do? Well, most businesses, because they know about the tyranny of government, just roll over and play dead. You know, and they just go, we don't like it either, but, you know, it's city council, you know, and we just, you know, we just don't have what it takes to fight it. So, yes, you got tyranny, actual fascism taking place, but that fascism is designed not, you know, because they actually think they have the authority to enact the law, but they do so in such a way as to avoid legal challenges so that they can give businesses cover, a scapegoat, so that they can enforce a mask mandate within their stores with while being able to scapegoat, you know, the city council for the reason. You know, it's kind of like the car dealership. You know, you're negotiating with the person. And they say, oh, let me check with my manager. Oh, man, you know, I, I, you know, my manager is not being as reasonable as I hope they would. I mean, I want to get you a good deal. I'm I'm on your side. You know, it's us versus my manager, but my manager is just not helping. All the meanwhile, whenever they go back and actually check with their quote manager, they're just grabbing a cup of coffee and, you know, just relaxing for about three to five minutes before they come back to you. You know, it, it, it's the scam is what's going on here. Now, in some states, is it possible that the city council um, and local government have the authority to issue, you know, mask mandates? Sure. 
you know, every state has slightly different laws and their constitutions are set up differently. But I'm just going through and talking about in the areas in which, you know, where the city council does not have the actual authority and yet they're doing so anyways. You know, and even though they don't have the authority, the fact that the businesses are just going to comply, you know, and roll over, it's basically enforcing it on you anyways. Otherwise, you don't shop. So, you know, I'm not fooled. I'm not fooled by this at all. So what happens? Any store that wants to go off and enforce this illegitimate requirement that any business that puts up a sign that says masks are required per city council, I'm just not going to shop there. No one in my family is going to do business there. We're not going to spend any money there. We're either going to, you know, do shop online or just not buy the item. That's our personal choice. Now, I get it. There's a couple of things in which that is not possible, such as gasoline and groceries. Well, luckily, when it comes to gas, we can just pay at the pump and therefore not bother with the mask anyway. So, you know, we can get around not having to wear a mask there. And when it comes uh, to groceries, you know, you know, with curbside pickup, you know, we don't have to wear a mask because we don't get out of our vehicle, you know, which is convenient anyways. You know, so besides those two things, we're not shopping or doing business anywhere that is requiring a mask and them trying to think that they can just scapegoat the city council who didn't have any authority to begin with on this matter as a way to try and get around customer blowback is not going to fly with us. Okay, so that's it uh, for this particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I'm getting this out late today, but hey, I'm sticking to the schedule of every Monday and Thursday. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, give me a rating and review. Share this on social media so other people can find me. And I will be back again on Monday. <laughs>